Good morning, everybody. Uh, but this morning, we're going to go back into uh, Corinthians. And uh, you know, over the last few weeks, um, we have seen God's desire, uh, really in two areas, that one, that the Corinthian church would be able to desire godly wisdom, godly wisdom that's been revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a wisdom that is not like the world, where the wisdom of Christ makes the wisdom of the world look foolish. Because the problem with the Corinthian church was they were taking the values in, of the wisdom, right, of their, of their culture, and they were trying to apply it and, and have it lived out in the church. And Paul's like, no, we seek the wisdom that comes from above, a wisdom that is heavenly and a wisdom that originates in the mind and the heart of God. And then there's this call to maturity, and it's a maturity, you guys, of spiritual maturity, and it's one of understanding and discerning the will of God. It's actually looking at your life, and you don't look at it looking for God. You look at it in the sense of what God is doing in your life, through your suffering, through your circumstances. We looked at Joseph you know, last week as, as Joseph could look at his life, and his life was trial after trial after trial, then boom, blessing, right? humbled himself, and in due time he's exalted, and he tells his brothers, which you meant for evil, discerning God's will by looking at his life, but you meant for evil, God meant for good. Look at all the lives that were saved. And that's part of our maturity as we grow. Now keep in mind that the church, we, God's church, we're, we're a very diverse group of people. We're, we're different with our ethnicities. Uh, we're different in our social and economic backgrounds, but here's the commonality that we have. Common ground. All our lives are built on Jesus Christ. And if we are going to grow and be unified, which Paul wants the Corinthian church, which is splintered and divisive and arguing, he wants them to be unified. And the only way that's going to happen is when we as individuals, as individuals, build our lives upon our, our, build our, lives upon our fellowship and our trust in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ unites us. He doesn't divide us. He unites us. He gives us the means of fellowship which means what? Grace. His Holy Spirit, which means what? Patience, which means love, which means thinking the best of each other at times when the worst of us is coming out. We still see that humanity of it, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you guys, we grow in this wisdom that God wants to give. So now what Paul wants to do, remember what they're dividing over. What are they dividing over? Church personalities, right? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. And then uh, some would say, have the, have the audacity to say, and I'm of Christ, which is, oh, it's kind of funny when I, I always hear people be like, oh, that's so-and-so's church, or that's so-and-so's church. And I'm like, I don't remember them dying on a cross. I don't remember them purchasing that church. Because what we're going to see today is that the worker is really nothing compared to God. It's God who does the work. So we're going to look at verses 5 through 9. I want us to look at it in two ways. I want us to see this in two ways, that God... The first section, we're going to see the actions of God in salvation and in the sanctification of his people, right? And then in the second part, we're going to see how God allows us, ministers, people. And here's the thing, you guys. Remember Peter calls all of us? We are, what, priests to the Lord. We offer up spiritual sacrifices. It has nothing to do with your gender, nothing to do with your age, nothing to do with where, the gifting that God's given you. Our lives, our lives have the potential of giving God, giving God praise, and honor, and worship. We all do. All of us. So you gotta, we got to see ourselves in this light. So we see in the second part, second two parts of this, one, God's part, and two, our part. 
So let's start with God's part here. Let's go ahead and read it again. Paul writes, verses 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, water, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and God's building. So notice how he ends it there. We are what? God's fellow workers. And then what, what does God do? What, what else? You, we, the church, is God's field. We are God's building. So what's Paul, who, who's Paul trying to emphasize here? Paul? Apollos? No. He's emphasizing God. See, so often we forget that God is the one working. God is the one planting. God is the one watering. God is the one who causes the growth in the past, and he's causing the growth here in the present. And notice these things he says about the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord assigned to each. So God's call upon Apollos and Paul. Look what he says in verse 6, God gave the growth. Verse 7, God gives the growth. And then in verse 9, we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. And then in verse 10, we didn't read it, but it says this, according to the grace of God given to me. Remember what Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it are those who build it in, uh, build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So first thing I want us to see, remember what he says, the Lord assigned to each. They're looking at Paul, they're looking at Apollos. Paul says, you're forgetting one person, God. The reason we're doing this, and the only reason we're doing this, is because God has assigned. So Paul is, what Paul is putting the focus on is the divine element and what, what's going on in the church. We always look at man, don't we? We always do. We can't, I do it. I'm not saying, you guys, I can't believe you're so mature. You always exalt these pastors. No, we all do it. We all do it. But what Paul wants to do to the Corinthian church, and I would say to us also, get your eyes back upon what God is doing. How God is using the man or the woman. And I want you to see something. He said, God assigns to each of us. God assigns to each. What I want you to see is the ministry is not an application you fill out. It's not a job you interview for. It's God's call. And I want you to see this, you guys. Each one of us has diverse gifts in here. Believe me, now, I tried. I tried to get out from being a pastor. I really did. I really tried to retire myself when I was 40, and God just was like, you could do what you want, but you're going to give in to me sooner or later. So here I am, right? Five years later, I'm still with you guys here, by God's grace, and I love this. I love being here. But I want you to see something about Paul's life. It was God's call on Paul. It wasn't Paul's desire to go. It was God's call on him answering. Look what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. It says, and he's talking about Ananias going to Paul. Paul's blind. He's had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He's fallen off his horse. He is blind. He's fasting. He's praying. And he sends Ananias, this guy, to Paul to pray for him. And look what the Lord tells Ananias. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Speaking of Paul. Notice that what he says. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So who chose, to, who chose Paul to go to the ministry? God. Was it Paul? Paul was going the other way. He was destroying the church. And God says, you're going the wrong way. I want you to build the church. 
Then look what happens again in Acts 13 later on. Paul is now partnering up with Barnabas. They're in the church in Antioch, and God's Spirit is heavy on this church. And it says in, in chapter 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they're seeking God's will. It says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So again, what's Paul trying to say here in, back in Corinthians? God's the one who called him. God's the one who called Apollos. They didn't call themselves. It's a call of God upon their life. So a minister, a Sunday school director, women's ministry, street, evangel- street evangelism is a call. I would say I'll go further than that. It's a holy burden. It's a holy burden that God puts on your life where you've got to do it. You've got to do it. You can't escape it. It's on your life. And it's a burden that God gives you as an individual. And here's the thing. He equips you to do it. He equips you to do it. I'm telling you right now, I am not a street evangelist. I've tried, and I've done it. I've gone up to people. I've preached on corners. I've done it all. I, I terrorized people by actually singing to them to get their attention. And they, they thought it was a car accident, so they would stop and look at me like, this guy must be drunk. This guy must be crazy. Let's watch the show, right? And the moment I got their attention, bang, I stopped singing, and I started preaching at them. And by God's grace, sometimes people got saved. That's a miracle, but he did it. But I'll tell you, I know, Pastor Phils has the gift of evangelism. This guy can just do it. He just goes. And I look at him like, that's your call, bro, not mine. Like, you're amazing at it. If I go out there, I scare people away. If you go out, you become best friends with everybody, right? But it's like, I could go around, look at this room, and tell you the gifts that people have here. But the thing about it is, are you answering God's call to do it? These are the obvious ones. I'll tell you right now, we had guys' gifts of works out here this last week. They worked and worked and worked to get this cement poured. And they do it joyfully. Well, when everything goes right. But they do, they do it, but they do it. They're out there, they're doing it, but I want you to see something. It's God's call. It's not the person. It's God's divine call. And here's the thing, you guys. So how do we know what God's call is? He gives you the gifts to do it. Nobody's like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. This guy is a pit bull. He's a raging bull at times, right? Name me one apostle that was like him. Maybe Simon the Zealot, but we don't know much about him. But we see it in Paul. Paul's tenacious. He goes and he goes and he goes through every trial, through every circumstance. Even when he wants to quit, he keeps going because God has called him. And this is what he writes to the Roman church. He says this in chapter 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he lists, he lists all these gifts. And my, my challenge to us and my encouragement to us, God has given you a gift. God has definitely called you. Are you using that gift? And, if, and here's the thing, you guys, I believe this. God wants us to seek him for the strength to use the gift in the wisdom, in the wisdom. I'm going to give you guys a story. I heard this one from Bill Hybels years ago. You know, Willow Creek was a massive church in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and they went through, I don't know, eight or nine building projects. Just, it's massive. It's like a, a shopping mall, right? Uh, uh, Mariner's Church is like this. But here's, there was one story he told about somebody volunteering in the church. So on their first building project, this guy comes up to him and he says to Bill, hey, uh, I noticed you guys are doing a building project. He goes, yes. And he goes, hey, um, I want to help out in any way I can, and I, I just want to do it for free. I want to give you my time, and, and I want to help you, you know, do this. And Bill's like, we already got a contractor. 
We don't need you. And he's like, well, hey, if you guys do it again, just let me know. I want to help. Again, free of charge. And Bill's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So the guy walks away, and one of his associate pastors goes up to him, and he goes, do you know who you were just talking to? And he's like, no, I don't know who that guy is. He goes, he's one of the biggest contractors in Chicago. What did he want? He wanted to help. And you're going to let him, right? He's all, I didn't know who he was. I told him we didn't need any help. He's like, oh, my gosh. This guy is like the top dog in this field. So Bill reintroduces himself. And the next seven projects, this guy volunteered and oversaw the building project. Years later, 15 years later, this guy's dying of cancer. Bill Heibel says he goes to see him. He walks in, the guy's dying, and he goes, Pastor, I have a gift for you. And he's like, a gift for me? He's like, yeah. And he goes, here. And he gives him this thing. It's a compass, a brass compass from a ship. And he's like, I don't sail. Like, why are you giving me a brass compass? He goes, no, no, no. It's symbolic of you in my life. Where I had no, I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not, any, I'm not a worship leader but I know how to build things, and you gave me the opportunity to build it for the glory of God. Thank you, Pastor. Again, would you look at this guy's gift? No, he has to fit in. He has to be a Sunday school teacher. No, if you're called, God's going to give you the desire to do it. He's a builder. Those are the gifts God's given him. And he used it for God's glory. So I don't want you to put yourself into a box. Don't start thinking, well, these are the things the church does. I don't know where I fit. No, what has God given you to do? And then come and partner with us. And let's do it together. Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? So I want you to see this. God assigns to each one. He assigns to each one of us. And notice what he says in verses 6 and 7. But God gave the growth, past tense, and God gives the growth, present tense. So who's the one causing the church to be? And who is the one causing the church to grow? Thank God it's not the pastor right? Thank the Lord it's not the pastor. It's God. So who should get the glory? And who should we have our eyes on? God, not the minister, not Apollos, not Paul, not me, not anybody. Our eyes should be fixed upon the Lord. And the idea is this, man's work is planting and watering. It's a one-time thing. But you know what else this scripture tells us? But God's work is causing the increase and it continues unabated. God's always working. He's working around the world. He's working in Africa right now. He's working in China right now. He's working in Iran right now. God's doing it. God's doing it. He's building his church. And remember what Jesus said when the Pharisees came to him after he healed on the Sabbath? Remember what they told him? They're all mad at him. How dare you make that man whole on the Sabbath? And this is what Jesus said, John chapter 5. He says, and in this, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. Look what he says. My father is working till now, and I am working. They're thinking God is taking the Sabbath off. He's not. God wasn't. He was just healing on the Sabbath. And they're mad. You're broken our rules. You broke our interpretation. How dare you do that? And Jesus is like, you really think I can take a man with a withered hand and make it whole on my own? Are you insane? God is working. He's doing it now. You just can't see it. So God is the one building his church. God is the one blessing his church. God is the one, and we have to see it. And our job, and I believe this, our job is to catch the wave of what God is doing. That's a surfing analogy. I don't surf. But I know this much. You've got to catch that wave, right? 
you got to catch it. And you got to paddle, and you got to get it when it's getting ready to break, and then you ride that wave. And that's our job. I believe that. we got to catch the wave of what God is doing and then use the gifts that he's given us to do it. Again, <laughs> I could play guitar. You don't want me leading worship. I'll tell you that right now. But I can do what God's called me to do, and I want to catch that wave, and I want to be doing it. I want to be part of what God's doing. Now, the second part, again, we see what God's doing. He's the one who's causing the growth. He's the one who's blessing the church. He's the one who is assigned to each one of them. But what's our part? Paul tells us. So we see in the second part, Paul wants the Corinthian church to have a proper understanding of who Apollos is and who he is. He wants them to get it in the right context. He wants them to get it into the right context. Water working, and there's a warning too. So the first thing is this, the question, what are Paul and Apollos? The office and the person is not the same, and that's, but that's not important to Paul. But the, one, uh, but the one who's doing it is the one who counts, and that's God, right? So here's the thing. Notice how he, what he says to them. What does he say to them? Who are they? Can you tell me? What does the Scripture say? What's Paul's answer to that question? Who are Paul and Apollos? Who are they? What do you guys think? Servants. Servants. That's all they are. That's all they are. They are there to serve the church, not be worshipped by the church, not to be idolized by the church. Paul wants to recast our understanding of what a minister is. Now, here's a big picture thing, guys. A pastor is not a minister of a particular church, but rather a minister, a pastor, is a minister of the gospel. That's what we do. It's not this. It's this. And we got to have a bigger heart and a bigger understanding of what God wants to do. So Paul wants them not to focus their attention on a person, but rather on the work these persons are performing on behalf of Christ. On behalf of Christ. So again, Paul planted. What does that mean? He's the one who founded the church in Corinth. Paul, Apollos watered. What does that mean? He blessed the church with his ministry. He was causing it to be what? Grow in sanctification. Grow in understanding, right? That's what they were doing. So then he says this. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, um, but, they are, but they're one. They're not nothing, but yet they're one. God's doing this. They're partnering with God, and we make competition out of it, don't we? Oh, Paul founded the church. Yeah, but man, Paul sure can't preach. Oh, but Paul's the one that God used. Yeah, but oh man, Apollos has some radical gifts. And they're looking at each other going, we're on the same team. Like, you're making us be competitors with each other. How can we compete when we're on the same team? You know, I had a friend of mine, a small church in Riverside, and he said um, that they were trying to buy a building. They were trying to get out of their building, buy a building, and a guy from a big church, massive church in Riverside. Not Harvest, just qualify that, because I know you're thinking that. It's not Harvest. A different one. And they met. And then the guy from the big church, the big dog, found out that my friend and him were competing, or not competing, but wanting the same building. And once that pastor found out, he goes, Armando, his whole demeanor to me changed. He was like, he didn't see me as a brother or fellow minister. He saw me as competition. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think a lot of times we get that party spirit, that tribalism, don't we? I'm not competing with St. Peter's. We're not competing with Sunrise. We're not. We're not competing with North Coast. We're not competing with any of the churches in town. We're going to do what God's called us to do and be who God's called us to be, but they're not our competition. They're not our competition. We're just different, right? We are definitely different. 
but we're not, we're of one body. And God knows who His chosen ones are, amen? So we're not here to tear down, we're here to build up. We're here to be a team against who? Our real enemy, which is Satan, who is blinding the people of this earth to the beauty of the gospel. Now, some of us have been hurt by different churches, but we're just as guilty as anybody else. We've hurt people too. Not intentionally, it just happens because we're human. But we're not in competition. We're not in competition. The thing that Paul wants them to see is that he is one agent, but that they are instruments in his hands and that they are one as united together in Christ, but they are not what you would make them by, the, by a party of fractions to be. They're not factitious. They're separate persons, but they're not rival head leaders. They're not opposing sex. It's not Paul's sex against Apollos. No, the Paul's saying, we're one. Can you see it? We're one, but we're not the same. But we're one. We're doing the same work. We are servants. And here's the thing I want you guys to see, and I believe this is how we can wrap up this section. Paul would say this, we are servants, talking about Paul and Barnabas, but God alone is the master. Verse five. We are servants, but God alone is the master. God is the object of your faith, not us. We point to him, not ourselves, right? So God is the master. God is the object of their faith. Um, we do not make ourselves servants uh, uh, to make, uh, or make you converts. God did. He, they didn't make themselves servants. God called them. God, they didn't change people's hearts. God did. Do you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to get their focus back upon the Lord. If we put them on men, we get divided. If we put them on Christ, we get united. Do you see that? Do you see that? If we get our eyes upon ministries or men, we will divide. We will divide. But if we get them on Christ, Christ unites us. So again, God is our master. God is the one who's called them. God is the one who saved the Corinthian church. Apollos and I, Apollos, um, Apollos and I planted and watered, but God alone can create spiritual life. Do you see that? God alone creates spiritual life in you, not the minister. We, we do this like, oh, I got so fed today. By who? By who? Hopefully, and, uh, and I praise God for this. This happens to me quite often. Someone will come up to me after a Sunday morning, and they'll say, Pastor, when you said this, man, it just so... Like, man, it so built me up, and I was so challenged, and I'm like, I didn't say that. What are you talking about? I, I never said that. I, I look at my notes, and I'm like, when did you hear that? I, don't, I didn't say that. And I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. God's speaking to you because it's not me, you know? God's doing it in spite of me. And here's the thing. When he says this, because he says what? We, we read what he says. I and Apollos are nothing. That's what he says, right? But what's he really saying? Compared to God, we are nothing. But they are important, and I want you to see that. I want you to see they are important, but not compared to what God is doing. Not compared to what God is doing. So what is he trying to say? Apollos and I are not competitors, but allies. We have a common goal. And in the end, God will give us our rewards, not you. <laughs> right? Oh, I'm going to defend my, the, my favorite pastor. I'm going to defend him, and he's the guy. It's like, I... I want to hear that from God, not you. I want to hear God say that day, well done, good and faithful servant. I thank you for the encouragement. I thank you for the love, but I'm, I'm doing it for the Lord, man. And if I don't hear from him, then man, is my, life, is my ministry worth anything? In, in, in retrospect, no, I don't think so. So I want you, again, as we see this, now, here's a great story I heard, and I think it really summarizes what Paul is saying. So again, 
They're, they're allies. In the eyes of God, they are one. They are a team, and they're building the kingdom of God. They are partnering with God, and God is using them. They are willing as God has given them gifts. And I heard this story when I was in mission training school. It's about a man, I think he was in Florida. He was a banker. Uh, his wife got cancer, and um, she died, and it made him reevaluate his life. He retired early. He felt God calling him to be a missionary, so he went to missionary training school, and then they were praying about where they should go in the world. It's a big international organization. And as he was praying and fasting about it, he had a dream, and a man in a dream was calling him to go to South America. So the guy said, okay, that's the Lord. I'm going to go to South America. So the guy goes down to South America, and he has an extraordinary ministry. Just explodes. The fields are white for harvest. He, and the, the church grows, and it's impacting the city. And it's just it's amazing. In about five years, this church is like the biggest church in town, and they're doing great things. And one day, this girl in the church comes to him and says, hey, there's a guy, an American, he's, he's dying of cancer, he's in the hospital, and he just wants the pastor to come pray with him. And he's like, man, I would love to do that. So after church on a Sunday, the guy goes in to meet this man who's dying of cancer, this missionary. As he walks into the room, he recognizes him. It was the man from his dream. That guy had been a missionary there with no fruit, what we would call fruit, for like 25 years. All he did was fast and pray for that city. And when the guy saw him and he heard his story, he told the guy this, that day when God hands out rewards, we're a team. We're, we're sharing these rewards together. Because that's the part, and that's what Paul's talking about, isn't it? Paul and Paul's are going, together, all for one. The message title today is all for one, one for all. We are all for one, Jesus Christ, amen? All of us, we are all for Jesus Christ. And here's the good news, God is all for us. He's the one for all. And that's the partnership that Paul is talking about that we, in our immaturity, forget. We, in our carnality, don't see all the time. But when we walk in the Spirit, and when we seek to glorify God, all of a sudden in our maturity, I'm praying for the other churches in town. I want to see more people in the kingdom of God. That's the important thing. My ego would love to see more people in the church, but that's God's thing, not mine. We've got to be faithful to what God's called us to do. So again, all for one, one for all. We, are, we all are doing the work of the ministry, and we don't compete. Now, here's the thing. We get all wrapped up. If we get all wrapped up in how what we do in front of people, man, we'll compete with each other. We will. <laughs> Years ago, down at Maranatha, they had a worship conference. This is like in the 90s. And my friend was like the host. And he said, these bands were competing with each other. They're rocking out on stage. The guitar player's doing their solo. The drum player's going off. And he's like going, what is cool? He's like, he's back in the, like, yeah, we kicked butt. Yeah, we, oh man, we were better than the other group. And he's just like, okay. And then Fernando Ortega, if you guys know who Fernando Ortega is, he goes out there and he just plays piano. And he starts playing Come Thou Fount. Just started playing it. And my friend goes, and the Holy Spirit fell into place. And these guys in the back that were in these big, big church bands, they all were repenting, Lord, forgive me. I got in the flesh. Okay, when God comes, man, we get humbled really quick. But if I'm looking for your applause, oh, man then I'm, I'm missing the mark, man. I'm missing the mark, and I got my reward. I don't want that reward. I want his reward. That's the reward we should all desire. So now as we go on to this, 
the next part here, verses 10 and 12. Look, look what he says. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled and master builder, I laid a foundation. Again, why? Because Paul founded the church in Corinth, and someone else is building upon it. That's Apollos. But he says this, let each take care, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest on the day and will disclose it. But I want you to see something. Christ here is our foundation. And Paul says this to the Ephesian church, gives us understanding. He says in verse 19 of chapter 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of God. The cornerstone is the stone that two buildings come together on and it takes all that weight and then it can be built. It strengthens the two walls to stand really as one. And that's what Jesus Christ is for us. And I believe when he says that he's the cornerstone of our lives, that Jesus Christ is the, our foundation, he's saying this, we rest our full weight of our salvation upon what he's accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection and and we build our life. How? By his teaching. Remember what he told the parable? You could build your life on sand. That'd be man's wisdom, right? That's man's wisdom. Or he said, you could build it upon what? My teaching, which is what? A strong foundation. And I, I, I'll say it in these terms then. We build our lives. We rest our salvation on Christ. He alone saves us. It's not by works. It's by grace. But two, I take the gospels and the apostles' teaching and I begin to obey it. I begin to obey it in my life. I submit myself to the word of God. I submit myself to the teaching of God. But here's the other part we neglect, and I believe this. Look at the way, the way Jesus lived. Look at the way, Je how he prayed, how he treated people. If you read like, if you read like um, older saints, they spend time looking. Remember what Paul says? Imitate me, we'll see this later on, imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. Now think about that. What would he be imitating? What would he be imitating? I would say his dependence on God, right? His seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Him being used by God in any given situation at any given time. How he prayed, when he prayed. Follow these examples. But look at it. Look at it. Because Paul wants them to grow, to grow on that foundation. The foundation of Christ makes our faith even stronger when we are tried. It steadies us in the storm. See, if I'm trying to, if I'm in the boat trying to steady it myself, I'm going down. I'm going down. I'm sinking. But if I'm like Peter and I get my eyes back, I get my eyes on Christ, man, I can walk on that water. It settles the storm. Remember John Owen, the Puritan, in his book. Um, is on fellowship with Jesus. He says, when I'm in a storm, when I'm just, he's going through it emotionally. You know, you guys ever been there? A little bit of depression, a little bit of discouragement, a little bit of hardship and trial. And the storm is going on inside of you. He says, Christ comes and he speaks peace. Well, he's getting Christ back as his fixture. He gets Christ back as his north star. 
And that's the foundation we build our lives on. He is this cornerstone. What does that mean? He is the most important person in my life. He is the most important person in my life. Now look what he says there in verses 13 through 15. He says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation, what? On what Christ has done, on what Christ has lived, how he has taught us. He says this, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So what's he trying to say? Our motivation, why we do something and how we do something is of the most vital importance. But I want you to see this too. What we do matters. As we partner with God to build his kingdom, you're not saved by works, right? But should works come out of our lives? We are covenant partners with God in building his kingdom. We are, he's chosen it. We haven't. He's chosen us to be his partners. And now what we do has eternal significance. I want you to see this, man. And it's, you, we always look at pastors and pastors of big churches. I'm telling you, I remember one guy said this. The guy who's going to receive the greatest reward is probably in some jungle right now. Serving God, living by faith, loving his neighbor, but trusting God for everything. And God's like, oh, that's the guy I rejoice in. I think, I think my grandmother, I really believe that she was just a peasant, man. I don't think she really ever got out of the little village she raised my mom and my aunts and uncles in. But she was a woman of prayer. And she was a woman who obeyed. And I'm thinking like, man, she's going to be gorgeous when I see her again. Just gorgeous. Because what she does, she does for the Lord. So the warning is this. I think it's t- we have to take heed in three areas. Number one, that what we do matters. And I think sometimes we diminish that. I think we diminish, oh, I'm just teaching Sunday school. Just? Just? Forming the future of the church? That's just? That's of the utmost vital importance. That is more important than what we do here. We just don't, we, do, we discount it, and it cannot be discounted. That is of the most crucial. That is the gold. That is the silver. They are the precious stones. It's, these, it's our kids that God's entrusted us with. The safety of those kids that God has entrusted us with. As they grow in knowledge of Christ, that's gold. That's the gold. I'm telling you right now, that's the gold. Paul says, remember, Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for what? For good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God wants us to work. Why? He wants to give us the blessing of working with him and also make us a blessing to those we work with. I want you to see that. He's like, man, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want you to partner with me. You remember when you were a kid? I remember this when Sebi. When I used to mow the lawn, and I do, I like mowing lawn. I just do. I, I find myself relaxing as I mow my lawn and hedging and cutting the hedges and all. I like it. When Sebi was small, not so much now, but when he was small, 
He goes, Dad, I want to help you. And I'm like, oh, okay, Sebi, come on. And he would get his arms, you know, there's my, I'm holding the handle, but then there's that little crossbar. And he'd be like, he'd be like there. He's like, Dad, we're doing a good job, aren't we? We're doing it together, aren't we, Dad? Yeah, we are, buddy. Thank you so much. You're such a blessing. And it's cute, right? You see it and it's cute. But he wanted to partner with me. And I think God wants us to have that heart, that we can partner with God in counseling or discipling people. Oh, my gosh, gold. But no one sees it, but they do. And more importantly, he does. Discipling, helping, giving. That's gold. That's gold. we got to see it that way. But again, what is our motivation? It's not to get the praises of men. It's not to get the praises of men. It's not to please man. It's not to please myself either or my ego. Look what I've done. Well, I've been doing this. and Oh, I give that. Well, then you received your reward. Good for you. Got what you wanted? Good for you. No. Look what Paul says. This is my favorite verse. This is what kept me going as a missionary. 1 Corinthians 15.10. I have in the New King James Version because that's how I memorized it. But Paul writes there, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Look what he says next. But I labored more abundantly than they all. He's talking about the other apostles, by the way. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. What's Paul's motivation? God's grace. God's grace. It's his motive. It's so good. It's so amazing. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so joyful. What God has given me, and He just keeps going. But that's the fuel. It's God's grace. And I and I believe this. Sometimes we get so far removed from where God has saved us that we're not motivated to keep going. But when you put yourself and here, when I go home to San Bernardino, and I see my old friends, that remain addicted to drugs, that remained, you know, given to alcohol, that remained given to sex. And I look at their lives, I'm like, man, I'm no different than them. I'm no better than them. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Like, wow. I don't know why you chose me, Lord, but I thank you that you did. I don't know why I responded. I don't know why I went to youth group. I don't know why I did all those things. But thank you for all these men and women that took their time to come and serve a bunch of unruly high school kids. And God saved. But Paul's motivation is grace. That's his motivation. Again, it's like, what's your motivation? Well, it's God's grace, not my ego. Not trying to get someone else's attention. It's thankfulness and humility before God. And then how we do something. You know, I think that's just as important. Do you resent those you minister to? Dang, kids, be quiet. We're here to learn about Jesus. I can't believe you're, t- would you be quiet? Would you sit down? We're here to learn about Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yeah, I don't think you're called to that, brother. I don't think you're called. Right? Because I believe this. Remember in that parable Jesus tells about those who did great things in his name? And he goes, hey, depart from me. I never knew you. But Lord, we cast out demons, we healed, we did this. He's like, yeah, yeah, but I never knew you, right? They weren't doing it out of love for God. They were not doing it out of love for neighbor. They were doing it out of love for self. And God blessed it because they were using his name. And he's like, I'll, I'll save those people. Sure, I'll heal those people. I get the glory, but you want the glory. You're not going to get it. But then there's another group of people, the righteous, 
And he's like, hey, enter into the rest of my father. Why? Because when I was hungry, you gave me to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And do you notice their response? Completely absent of self. Lord, when did we do those things? When did we do that for you? I never saw you on the street. I never clothed you, Lord Jesus. When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Why? Motivated by love for God and love for neighbor. It's important why we do something, but it's just as important how we do something. My, I'm not lying. I have a guy in my life named Rod Collins. I've spoken of him before. God always reconnects me with him. When I begin to wane, when I begin to wander, Rod just kind of pops out of nowhere. Boom! Hey, Ron, come on, let's go do this together. And I'm like, all right. And then I get motivated again. And then I get loved on again. And I get picked up again. He's done it throughout my life. He has found me hiding. And he finds me. And he brings me back to the straight and narrow every single time. I was talking to my mom about him yesterday. I had breakfast with my mom. And she goes, you know, Armand, he's always treated you like a son. He's always been out there looking for you. I, I know, Mom. I'm so humbled by that. So humbled by that. But again, he did it because he loved me. Never anything else he wanted. Remember one time he told me, I was totally backslidden. And he goes, you know what, Armando? God has a call in your life. You and I both know it. But if you choose to walk away from that call, I'm going to love you the rest of your life. But are you going to answer God's call or not? I, I want to answer God's call. I want to answer God's call. Okay. I was hoping you would say that. You're going to come to church with me now. Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings, you're with me. And when I teach some more, you're coming with me. All right, I'll come. And he just took me along with that. I just tagged along. But it changed my life. And the motivation he had was because he loved me. I don't know why. We are totally opposite. Totally, totally, totally opposite. We'd be cruising down the street, and he's, he had a sunroof in his little Honda box. I mean, what kind of car that was. He would listen to Terry Clark with his hands out the window, driving. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. You're embarrassing me. First of all, I'm in this car. Secondly, because what you're doing in it. Come on, man. But he was a constant example to me. But again, the motivation, again, is love. Why we do it and how we do it. So important. We do it because of God's grace. That's our motivation. How we do it is because we love people. And I'm telling you, whatever God's called you to do, you're going to love it. It's going to, it just kind of gives back to you. You don't even understand it. It just gives back to you. So I want to encourage you guys simply with this. Get your eyes back on God, not on people. And two, what has God called you to do? Do it. Prayer? Oh, man. Lord, give me a church full of prayer warriors. Amen. Change the world. Change the world. But do it, do it, do it. Because you're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to be stretched. You're going to be tested. You're going to be encouraged. And here's the thing at the end. You're going to be more like Jesus. And that's the ultimate goal. Amen. So let may we give our hearts back to the Lord and build, build with gold and silver and precious stones. Oh, man, not the wood hay. The wood hay and stubble is, you know what it is? Look what I did. Look what I did. Oh, look what we did. Look what we did. It's like, oh, okay. That's going to be toasty-roasty on that day. That's going up pretty quick, right? That ain't going to last. If I'm telling you right now, the foundation where we give freely un, with no ego, all to God's glory, all because of his grace, all because he loves us so we love, that's gold. 
And that's where he wants us to live. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Fathers, we come before you now. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask and pray that as we live in you,